are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. I just must say that uh, Dr. Jack Treber, this fine church and staff, are the greatest hosts of any place I've ever been. Of course, I've only been to two or three places, but <laughs> I'm, I mean that. I'm, I'm not just trying to be nice. I, I don't have to try to be nice. I'm just naturally nice. <laughs> niceness, niceness just oozes out of me all the time. But I appreciate so much. I tell you, when you're away from home, uh, those little things mean an awful lot. My room was so full of goodies, I tell you, I hardly had room to get around. There was all the pure water, and I don't, being a country boy, I don't drink pure water. Just anywhere I find a mud hole or something, I get me a drink. Here's this pure water, and a beautiful plate of cookies that just melt in your mouth, and a box of chocolate candy. I never ate such wonderful chocolate candy in my life. I didn't eat the whole box. I tried, but I, I just didn't make it. And a big fruit basket and a beautiful um, bouquet of flowers. And I thought, my, this is wonderful. I had been in the room 20 minutes. Somebody knocked on the door. A lady out there said, I have a basket of flowers for you. I said, woman, I got one basket full over here now. And she wanted to leave another one. And I said, I think that's somebody else. So I spent much of the night just trying to eat all that stuff. I felt like that's what it was there for. <laughs> Didn't sleep any. And I feel terrible today. And I can just feel my cholesterol is going up like that. But uh, what wonderful host. And I want to tell you, that's, that's to be appreciated. And I certainly thank you from the bottom of my heart for the privilege of being with you. I've been preaching for 58 years as of the 12th day of this past August. That's uh, August 12th, this past month. I've been preaching for 58 years. I've been married to the same wonderful sweetheart for 54 years. We, uh, we will be married 55 years if we stay together and don't fall out. Uh, the 17th day of this uh, April, and we've talked it over. We've decided uh, we've been together 54 years. We're just going to stick it on out and stay together the rest of the time, God willing. I've lived in the same house 44 years, same house, 44 years. I pastored the same church 45 years and been there for people to have somebody to kick around for another six years. Uh, so I've been there for nearly 51 years. I've had the same telephone number for 53 years. Same telephone number. Now, it used to start with FE 24288. And you know FE is the same as 33. That's what it is now. Am I, am I going too, too fast for you folks? <laughs> I've had the same phone number, 53 years. So uh, I get a hold of something good, I just hold on to it. Just don't ever give it up. Just keep holding on. 
And so 58 years, Jesus has been in my life, and I thank him for saving me. I just got up this morning thinking how wonderful it is that I, I, the Lord called me to preach. I just thank him from the bottom of my heart. I never will forget my ordination. Uh, I learned a lot at my ordination. There's seven of us being ordained. And I just listened to the other fellows, and I learned a lot. Uh, the church uh, auditorium is as large as this, maybe a little larger, and it was filled for that ordination. All the theologians in the country came. God save us some theologians. And all of them came, and they had their pet questions. We're going to throw this question to those young trembling candidates for ordination. So all of them came. They were all there, seven of us being ordained. And I never will forget my ordination. Um, there's a little fellow standing right next to me. Uh, I, I'm not very tall, but I, well, I used to be taller than I am now. I've shrunk a lot. I used to be about six foot six inches, but I've shrunk a lot. But uh, I was about nearly head taller than he was. And one of those theologians said to him, uh, what will you do if we don't ordain you to preach here today? He never batted an eye. He just said, well, I'll just keep on preaching like I was preaching before I came here at this ordination. That kind of shook up those theologians. And they said to a guy standing on the other side of me, he said, how do you know you're called to preach? And uh, he, he never did answer him. He started to cry. Tears rolled down his face. His lips trembled. He said, I just know it, that's all. Just kept crying. I said, I believe, bless God, he knows it. <laughs> and he gave as good an answer as you'll ever hear. I just know it. There isn't any other answer. And um, one fellow could speak Spanish and English both. So, uh, and he, he wasn't the greatest candidate for ordination. He and I are running pretty close race for uh, <laughs> the least ones on the, on the, uh, the seven. And when they'd press him with some great theological problem, He'd just start talking in Spanish as fast as he could talk. He's just really talking fast. And um, a lot of people said, amen, amen. And I did too. And nobody in the world knew what he's talking about. But the call to preach is the greatest thing in the world. And I've had, I guess, scores of young men say to me, how do you know when you call to preach? I tell them, I don't know. And they look so shocked. Man, if he doesn't know, what know? How in the world am I going to find out? I just tell them, I don't know, but when God calls you, you'll know. And that's the wonderful thing about it. And thank God. I, I'm just so happy this morning. I know I'm overdoing it, but that's the way I do things. Uh, I just thank God for the privilege of preaching, and I love preachers. And thank God for you people. Dr. Jack Treber is uh, one of my heroes. I've been admiring him since I was just a little boy, my mother used to say. <laughs> That's Brother Jack Treber now. Won't you be like him? And I, I do love him, and I mean that. Thank you for all your kindness. And I want to read this morning 1 Kings chapter 19, beginning of verse 1. I have prepared and preached over the years 38 sermons on Elijah and Elisha. And uh, 
I love this part of the Bible and so much in it teaches me and directs me and helps me in my ministry. In the 19th chapter of 1 Kings, toward the end of the reign of Elijah. By the way, before I read the scripture, let me read you a, a little poem that uh, Dr. Clyde Box wrote. And he said, Brother Tom, I want to dedicate this to you. I thought it was so sweet and so nice of him that I share it with people. You know, I'm 77 years of age. So he wrote this little poem that says, I can live with my arthritis. My dentures fit just fine. I can read with my bifocals, but I sure do miss my mind. And I thought that was sweet, you know. People write poems and dedicate it to you. I thought that was nice. I just felt so proud of that. And I was using it for a bookmark here this morning. So let's read in 1 Kings chapter 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done. And what a story that is. What a story that is. All that Elijah had done. And with all how he'd slain all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger unto Elijah saying, So let the gods do to me, and more also, if I make not thy life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. And when he saw that, he arose and went for his life, and came to Beersheba, which belongeth to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey, into the wilderness and came and sat down under a juniper tree and he requested for himself that he might die and said it is enough now O lord take away my life for i'm not better than my father's and as he lay and slept under a juniper tree behold then an angel touched him and said unto him arise and eat and he looked and behold there was a cake Bacon on the coals, that said something. This fire, on the fire of coals, there was a cake baked. It reminded him of fire that came from heaven in answer to his prayer. And a cruise of water at his head. And he'd also prayed. And three and a half years of drought had been ended as he prayed. And God opened the heavens. And my, how it did rain. And he did eat and drink and laid him down again. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And he arose and did eat and drink and went in the strength of that meat forty days and forty nights under Horeb, the mount of God. And I'd like to reread verse 7 this morning. And the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him and touched him and said, Arise and eat because the journey is too great for thee. And I would like to just talk to you this morning for a little while, God helping me on the touch of God. The angel of the Lord came and touched him. What a time it was in his life when the angel of God came, there came a touch of God upon his life at a crucial time in his life. You know, I never will forget the first time I read uh, the Bible, the Old Testament, read about the ministry, 
this great prophet Elijah. How I thrilled when I read of him stepping down out of the mountains of Gilead and coming across the river Jordan unknown, un, uh, unseen before in that place and appeared in the court amongst the courtiers of the most wicked king and kingdom that the people had ever seen, the kingdom of Ahab, and made an announcement, stood like a giant, and announced the judgment of God was coming. This fearless, this bold, this courageous, this godly, this spirit-filled man of God stood like a mighty oak tree for God. Miracle after miracle were wrought, were wrought under his ministry. He brought fire from heaven and rain from heaven. He set all the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. He set them all at naught and prevailed and caused all the children of Israel to cry, The Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. And a mighty revival came. And I remember reading about Elijah. And I, I just thrilled. Uh, my whole being was electrified as to how God could take such a man, unknown, unseen, step out upon the stage of human history and have the power of God in his life in such a wonderful way. I just thrilled. Then one day I read this verse, these verses I've read to you this morning, how that a lady, a woman, not a lady, that's a mistake, but a woman by the name of Jezebel, yeah. wicked, wicked, a heathen, idolatrous, covetous, tricking kind of a woman. Oh, what a mean soul she was. The life of others meant nothing to her. And when her false prophets, the modernists, had been killed by Elijah, she sent him a message. This man that feared nothing, this man that never backed up, this man that always stood firm, she sent him a message and said to him, by this time tomorrow, I'll have your life as you took the life of my prophets of Baal and the prophets of the grove. He does something almost makes me cry. He ran and he hid under a juniper tree and he cried out to God, I might as well die like my forefathers have died for the cause of God. It's enough, said I've had it. I don't want any more. He had suicidal tendencies and he came apart at the seams and was under, under a juniper tree, defeated and discouraged and wanting no more of the ministry. You say, well, uh, preacher, I don't think I'll ever come to that point. Don't be too sure of that. Because there are a lot of things that enter in. Here's a man I think fatigue has told its story upon him. He'd given his body, his body day and night to the cause of God. The weary miles had taken their toll and the mighty conflict in his soul as he battled against evil had taken its toll upon his life. Then the threat came from a godless woman and he went down under a juniper tree. But listen, no preacher, no Christian worker, no child of God is ever out of the sight of the all-seeing eye of God. Amen. And he never forgets you. And he always knows where you are. 
and he always knows what you need. Hallelujah. God watches over his servants. And when he saw Elijah under the juniper tree, he sent an angel, baked a wonderful meal for him. And then the Bible said, the angel of the Lord came again the second time and touched him. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. The Lord helping me, the touch of God. What a difference it made in his life. The Lord said, I, I've prepared this meal and given you this touch of God because the journey is too great for thee. And so is your journey and mine, except for the touch of God and the provision that comes from his own hand. Bible says he rose, arose and did eat and drink when in the strength of that meat, 40 days and 40 nights, the Lord gave him a special touch from God. You know, the Lord touched people in the Bible. I like to read about the touch of God that came upon Jacob. You know, Jacob means deceiver. And he'd been deceived, but he deceived also. And he, he got the birthright, a wonderful thing, but he was deceptive in it. And he was known as a deceiver. Went away from home for 20 years. Brother said, I'll kill him. And for 20 years, he felt, when I see my brother, he'll take my life. And the 20 years ended. And the Bible says one night on his way back, he'd reached the country of his boyhood. And um, the Bible says he was alone. And you're going to be there. You're going to have to meet God alone. I mean alone. You're going to have to get alone. You and God are going to have to settle things. You and God are going to have to deal with your heart and your life. God likes to get alone with his own. And I think God likes to put us upon the anvil of his providential leading and hammer our souls at times to make of us what God wants to be. The trials are blessings. They're stepping stones. There are times when God shows his strength. There are times not of defeat and victory. And Jacob came home and he met a man at the brook. And the Bible said, he said unto him, what is thy name? And he said, my name's Jacob. And they wrestled. This man, this heavenly messenger, wanted to turn loose and go back to heaven. But uh, Jacob held on until the heavenly messenger said, Thy name shall be no more called Jacob, but Israel. But for as a prince hast thou power with God and with men and hast prevailed. A lot of times you read in the Bible, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But at other times, in fact, when Elijah prayed uh, in, the, in the previous chapter, when I read from 19, when he prayed in chapter 18, he called on the God of Abraham and Isaac and Israel. He said, I want a God of power in my life. And that's the God who touched him that day under the juniper tree. Oh, the touch of God. I remember a touch in my life, not by the Lord, but uh, through the Lord. Um, many years ago, my sweet mother, I mentioned last night, who's still living, 99 
years of age. I remember I had gone away to Bob Jones College in 1935, little college down in Cleveland, Tennessee. My brother had gone away to a larger college on a football scholarship. One day I had a call from my brother. Said, our mother's ill. I'm going home, giving up my scholarship in football, going home to take care of our mother. You do what you think best. I felt like that's what I should do. So I left Cleveland, Tennessee for a few hours. I thought I'd be gone for good. But I left and hitchhiked down across the, the country, down to Tennessee and North Alabama, to Florence, Alabama, where my mother lay in a little room on what doctors said was her deathbed. My heart was broken. My mother has been to me, both mother and father, and friend and prayer warrior an example, and there she was on what they said is it might be her deathbed. I got down on my knees in 1935, or maybe 36 it was then, early 36. I got down on my knees by my mother's bed. I reached out and put my arms around her shoulders, and I said, Mother, your boys have come home to take care of you. Don't worry about anything. We're going to pray you'll get well. We're going to take care of you. Don't worry about anything. Uh, we both left school. I'll never forget my sweet mother lifted a feeble hand, reached around behind my head with one of her hands, and put her sweet hand on the back of my head. And she said, Tom, let us pray. With her weak voice, she lifted her, her vo voice and heart to God, and she prayed, oh, God. I thank you for a preacher boy. I thank you that you called him. And I want you to use him. And Lord, may nothing ever happen to keep him from following the call of God to be a preacher. She took her hand from my head and she said, son, get on your feet. And then she said to me, like a general would talk. She said, go back to Cleveland, Tennessee today and take up your studies for the ministry today. And I went back those roads hitchhiking, and I could feel the touch of my mother's hand. And I've relived that experience hundreds and thousands of times, I think. But I say to you this morning, if a mother's touch could turn a life around, and a mother's touch could determine the destiny of a life. How much more today could the touch of God mean upon a person's life? Oh, for the touch of God. And I never shall, I never will get over the touch of a mother's hand in a great time of crisis in my life. I would like you to see this morning quickly five times in the book of Daniel, where God touched a man by the name of Daniel. You know, the Lord was in the business of touching people. New Testament days, he touched a leper and made him clean. He touched Peter's mother-in-law and made her well. He touched blind eyes and made them see. He touched man's tongue and made him speak. He touches their deaf ears and made them hear. And I want to say to you, he's still in the touching business. 
Oh, you say Jesus is not going to walk down this aisle, kneel with us at this altar in physical form that we can see and touch and feel. No, no. But the blessings of God are still the same. And he, the Bible says, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he who touched Elijah can touch Tom this morning. Hallelujah to his blessed name. He's never quit touching people when they need it in an hour of crisis need. And in the book of Daniel, you read five times that God touched Daniel. I'd like for you to see them. First of all, he touched him and set him upright in chapter 8 and verse 18 of the book of Daniel. We read, now, as he was speaking with me, I was in deep sleep on my face toward the ground, but he touched me and set me upright. This is a touch where God said, stand upright. Stand upright. Stand on your two feet. Stand up for God. This was the touch to stand upright. You know, I believe we need that today. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not a, a pessimist. I'm an optimist. But um, I don't wear suspenders and a belt also. I'm not a pessimist. I believe one's enough. But um, I, I do want to say to you this morning, I believe you and I, maybe I'm wrong, maybe I don't know the mind of God about this, but I believe you and I have a little more intense battle and more to contend with as we come, I think, closer to the end of this age. Oh, there are no barriers anymore. There are no guidelines in human society. Anything goes. Everything's all right. If it feels good, do it. If you like it, that means it's right. If you want it, get it, no matter what it is. That's the age in which we live. There are no guidelines. There are more single parents in America today than there are married parents. Uh, it's, it's a different age. We have the gays and the lesbians. 300,000 of them met in Washington, D.C. And by the way, God loves them. I've been with two when they died, and they died with faith in Christ because somebody ministered to them a hateful, hideous life. Oh, it's not, it's not something they can't help. It's something they've chosen. And the Bible deals with it in Genesis chapter 19. Another chapter of the Old Testament deals with it. First chapter of the book of Romans is a sin God hates. And the Bible says, God gave them up to uncleanliness. It's an awful sin. God destroyed a city called Sodom because its sin was the sin of homosexuality. But anyway, uh, God said to Daniel, stand upright. Stand on your own two feet. You know, I thank God for men being such a blessing to me. Dr. Bob Jones Sr. was mentioned last night. Uh, he, he influenced my life more than any other man I've ever known. Oh, how he touched me. I looked at him as being next to God. And he touched my life and meant so much to me. But you know, in a sense, you don't have to stand alone. I mean, God will stand with you. 
But don't depend on any human aid because it's fickle. Human nature's fickle. You must stand upright with God's help and God's strength in your life. Stand up. Man said to me out east a few years ago, I was preaching and talking about standards. And listen, I don't believe our standards ought to have changed one iota in the last 50 years. I think they're good. Still think men ought to look like men and women ought to keep the shades down. I think, I think we still ought to have standards. And I want to tell you, people don't want standards anymore. They want to go naked. Uh, they want to do as they please. And uh, those 300,000 gays talked about the religious right. That's you and me. That's old-fashioned, fundamental, Bible-believing, blood-washed children of God who believe that whatever God says is so. They talked about how, what the, uh, the church and so forth, they don't know anything about it. And it scared a lot of Christians to death. But you know, Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And that's what I'm resting on today. Oh, the church is still like a mighty army with banners. The church is as perpetual as God is. It's, he's in it. And he lives. And there'll always be the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. No bunch of misfits are going to ever kill the church. I called one of our graduates Midwest Baptist College some time ago whose building had burned down. And I made a mistake in my, in my way of talking to him about it, and he corrected me, and I learned a great lesson. I said, um, I, I'm sorry your church burned down. He said, oh, wait a minute now. Brother Tom, you've been misinformed. My church didn't burn down. He said, the building burned down. And he said, Brother Tom, now understand. I was just about 70 years older than he was. And he taught me something, and I, I appreciated it. He said, you can't burn a church down. You can burn a building down, but you can't burn a church down. I said, hallelujah, praise God. I'm going to call another one of these young preachers, see if I can learn something else. Oh, no. Nothing's going to ever stop the church of Jesus Christ on this earth until the trumpet blows and God moves his bride into his house in heaven. It's going to stand forever. Yeah, God touched Daniel. He said, stand upright. I like people that believe in standing upright. They said to William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, and by the way, I lived in the days when the Salvation Army was one of the greatest evangelistic forces in the world. They made altars out of the curbs and sidewalks of the whole world and called people to Christ literally by the thousands. One day, William Booth walked through the slums of London and he saw those people for whom no one seemed to care. And he saw those people that fundamentalists wouldn't want to touch with a 10-foot pole the drunkard in the gutter, the infamous woman, the slums of London, and his heart broke, and God called him, and he said, I must follow the leading of God to minister to these people. 
They put him on trial and stood him down here like a convict. Church was filled, and the uh, religious hierarchy, and the religious demagogues tried him like a criminal. And his little wife sat up yonder in the balcony, and they said to him, Will you go where we tell you to go and do what we tell you to do? Little woman in the balcony got out her little hanky, stood to her feet and began to wave the hanky and said, Say no, William. Say no, William. And William said, No. No. I won't go where you want me to go. I'll go where God wants me to go. And listen, I believe a preacher a preacher ought to be his own man. I don't think that you ought to be owned by anybody. I don't think that your directions come from a board or even a congregation. I'm talking about your spiritual ministry. It must come from your headquarters, which is not on this earth, but is in the kingdom of God above. I believe Christians, preachers, God's people need to stand upright. Oh, William Booth said no. And thousands upon thousands of people are in heaven today because William Booth said no. In English history and English literature, you read about King Henry VIII and his many wives. If he got tired of one, he'd behead her. Don't get any ideas, you men. It's strictly against the law in this day and time. Someone said, Dr. Bob Jones Sr. one time said, uh, Dr. Bob Jones, have you in your life ever thought about divorcing your wife? He said, uh, divorce, no, and he loved Mrs. Jones. He said, divorce, no. Murder, maybe, but not divorce. <laughs> hey, he'd murdered his wives, and there had been at least five of them. But he married a lady called Catherine of Aragon. One day he said, I want to marry one of the others, Jane Seymour or someone. And he said, I want a divorce. Oh, there was actually a lady named Jane Seymour in uh, uh, King Henry VIII's uh, time in his kingdom. And he said, I want a divorce. Catherine of Aragon said, I am the Queen of England. And I'm a child of God. No, I will not give you a divorce. I don't have time to talk about it. But they formed a great armada of ships and planned a meeting across the channel in France where all the heads of the Catholic Church and the heads of state and kings and potentates met. And for 45 days, they put up beautiful tents. They took with them the chinaware and furniture uh, from the king's palace in England. And for 45 days they spent trying to influence people in the, in the church, the Catholic church, and in, uh, in the political area to say, yes, you have a right to divorce this woman, divorce her. And Catherine of Aragon said, no, you'll never divorce me. Never, no, I'm the queen of England and a child of God. My answer is, no! And she stuck by it. She stuck by it until King Henry VIII said, I'm going to form my own church. And he formed the Church of England, declared himself as the prince of the church, and by his own words 
and his own authority, he finally got rid of Kathleen of Aragon. But thank God for people that can say no. Oh, I want to tell you, we need some people to stand upright under the touch of God. In the book of Daniel, chapter 9, verse 20 and 21, I read of the Lord touching Daniel uh, as he was confessing and praying. You know, there's no perfect man in the Bible. There's none in your acquaintance. There's none in any of our pulpits. There's none in any of our congregation. There's never been but one perfect person in the world, and that's Jesus Christ. You say, well, that's elementary and fundamental, and everybody knows it. I know they do, but they still expect somebody to be perfect while they are imperfect. And there's never been a perfect person except Jesus. He was confessing and praying and waiting upon God in verse 20 and verse 21. While I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord, my God, for the holy mountain of my God, yea, while I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I'd seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. While he was in, in prayer and in confession, you know, we need that today. Not many people want to confess anymore. Not many people want to confess. They, not many people want to look deep down inside. Many are afraid to pray what David prayed. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Well, you know, without heart searching, there'll be no revival. Without heart searching, there'll be no blessing and power from God and great victories in the church of our Lord Jesus Christ. Touched him while he's confessing his sin. I remember an experience in my first days at Bob Jones College, it was then. I had a job as a night watchman. I'd making big money. I'd making 25 cents an hour. I was a dollar, dollar a day, worked four hours a night. That's enough to keep me in school. Uh, uh, really, when I think of that, I, I'm tempted to call them the good old days. You could go to school. Uh, tuition and three good meals a day. Of course, there's an awful lot of grits, but three good meals a day. Dr. Bob Jones said he, he expelled, he expelled t two boys one time from school. Uh, he expelled one of them for, for lying because he said, oh, I like grits. And Dr. Bob knew he didn't, so he expelled him. He expelled the other one for what he called griping, complaining, because he said, I don't like those grits, so he just expelled both of them. We had a lot of grits. Had three good meals a day, dollar a day. But anyhow, I remember one night, my responsibility to go around, touch the doors of buildings and so forth, and um, fire the boiler on about uh, the fourth round around in the boiler building. And um, I remember one night in, the, in a building uh, going to a door, put my hand upon a knob I had not touched before. And I turned that knob and I heard voices. It was called the green room. No one really was supposed to be in there. I looked in and I saw four 
of my young men friends down not on their knees but on their faces. They were crying out to God. They were admitting to God their sin and their pride and their need of a touch from God and a revival. And without me having much to do with it, I slipped down between two of them. And all such praying and agonizing and crying out to God and soul searching. To make a long story short, schools stopped for two days. There was no speaking, no classes, because people were telling one another, I'm sorry, and making it right with God. And revival came because one night I found four young men down on their knees doing real business with God in confessing their sin. I think without a doubt, God touched those men. They, he touched Daniel while he's confessing and praying. You read in chapter 10 and verse 10, he, Daniel had another touch, and it was a touch uh, in prayer. In verse 10 you read, Behold, a hand touched me, set me on my knees, and upon the palms of my hand. What can I say about prayer? Oh, it's your spiritual breath. Prayer moves the arm of God. Prayer gets the ear of the holy God. Prayer is the greatest power on earth. Is prayer to God. And Daniel was praying. He set him on his knees. I remember a few years ago, my wife and I took Matthew 8, 20. If any two of you together um, shall agree on earth as touching anything, it shall be done of them, of my Father which is in heaven. We needed something, God to do something. I mean, only God could do it. You know, it's a good place to get into sometimes where you need something and says, you know, only God can meet that need because if it comes to pass and only God could meet it and if it comes to pass, otherwise you'll think some friend did it, some, someone else helped. But oh, I said to my wife one day, you know, we have many Christian friends and people I believe love us and we love them. But all our friends put together could never bring this to pass. We kept praying, claiming. And uh, she said to me one day, you know, all the lawyers in the state of Michigan put together could not bring this to pass. I said, you're absolutely right. Only God can do this. We kept claiming that verse, if any two of you shall agree on earth. You see, prayer is founded upon the promises of the Bible. They come from a God who cannot contradict himself. And God has promised to answer prayer. Amen. Five o'clock one Monday afternoon, I'd been out of the city preaching. And I came through the garage and my back door. And, and before I could knock on the door, my, my Joyce opened the door. And she's standing in the room with her hands lifted toward heaven. And the tears of joy were literally rolling down her face and dripping from her chin. And she said, Tom, this afternoon, a little while before you came, 
God answered prayer. The Lord has heard us. It's all over this problem that came to us for prayer. Oh, I want to tell you, God can do that. God can do that. You laugh about it, but my wife and I had years ago a beautiful stove and refrigerator. They were both pink enamel. And we, we had them for 20 years, but when we'd had them 10 years, uh, my wife said to me one day, the refrigeration, refrigerator is working intermittently. I didn't know what in the world intermittently meant about refrigerator, but it meant it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't. So I said, well, we'll call the man that's supposed to fix it. And uh, called a technician. He came in with a toolbox and his testing tools, and he tested that refrigerator and uh, pulled it out from the wall, tested it, looked it over, pushed it back against the wall, put his tool back in his box, and very abruptly, and I thought very curtly, said, it can't be fixed. I said to him, now, wait a minute. See, I was thinking ahead on something. I said, if it needs a new, new motor, that's all right. Get a new motor. Now, whatever it needs, he, uh, he, he seemed almost like he's mad. Nearly everybody is. And uh, he seemed like he's kind of aggravated. And he said, it can't be fixed. Can't fix it. I said, sir, uh, uh, look at it again. Um, I, I sure hope it somehow or another you can find some way to keep it working. I got almost indignant. He said, uh, uh, buy you another refrigerator. This one is done. Picked up his tools and went out. My wife said, what did he say? I said, he said, it's dead. <laughs> um, you, you're not going to believe this, but uh, I was in there alone a few hours after that. See, I, I, I know my wife. She's dearest, sweetest prayer warrior and friend man could ever have, but I know her. I know her. That refrigerator goes, that stove's going. Hey, we're not going to have anything in our house that doesn't match. And I, I said, Lord, I can't buy a stove refrigerator right now. And uh, I knew she would have it no other way. A pink stove and a, an old white refrigerator? Why, never in our, our house. I was in there, and you, you can laugh if you want to. But I put my arm around that refrigerator. I'd seen these, these fellows on TV. Folks come up and need to be healed, and they zap them, you know. I put my arm around that refrigerator, and I said, Lord, uh, heal this refrigerator. I want to tell you with my hand on the Bible, God is my witness. It worked for another 10 years. Everywhere I go, somebody says, I got a refrigerator needs healing. I say heal it yourself once in a lifetime's enough. But it happened. Listen, God isn't dead. God isn't deaf. God is interested in little things. God listens when you pour out your heart to him. Oh, listen. God touched Daniel in his prayer life. Uh, he touched him again in chapter 10 and verse 16. Bible says he touched his lips. 
or chapter uh, 18. I came again, touched one. I like the appearance of a man and strengthened me. That's not the verse I want. Verse 10, behold, a hand touched me, set me on my knees and upon the palm of my hand. That's not the one I want either. I don't know which one I want. Let's see. Verse 16, uh, came and stood by him and touched his lips. Daniel need God to touch his mouth so he could speak for God. We all need that. A lot of people have spiritual lockjaw. They need to be touched. A man in our church years ago came forward a deacon and a certified public accountant and good of Christians you'll ever meet came with his wife, stood right down here and uh, hand in hand and they both were weeping. They're the best people I knew. And I went down and I said, put my hand on theirs. I said, why do you come? This man had an impediment of speech. He couldn't say good morning sometimes. I lie not. Say good morning, Harry. He'd open his mouth and try, but he, you didn't have time to wait until he could get it out. He had an impediment of speech. He, he could not be a public speaker. He could not converse normally with people. He had a bad case, an impediment of stuttering. And I said, why do you come? And they said to me, God wants us to be missionaries in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia. God's laid it on our heart. We have no other choice. And he spoke to me with a voice as clear as a bell. They went to Addis Ababa, buried one of their children there, stayed 21 years. They were up in uh, toward middle age at the time they came. They stayed 21 years, an average winning, a, a soul to Christ for every day, every day for 21 years before health broke and things happened to bring them home. I heard him speak when he'd come back, speak like you speak. They speak a lot better than I speak and speak normally because God one day touched his mouth. We need to have God do that. Oh God, touch our lips today that they may bring forth the praises of God and sing the story of his love and tell people how he died that we might be saved. He touched Daniel's lips. He touched Daniel again another time in chapter 10, verse 18. The Bible says he touched him and strengthened him. Amen. Strengthened him. You know, when you get 77 years of age, you have to have God give you strength. The Bible says, as thy days, so shall thy strength be. I'm glad it doesn't say, as thy strength so shall thy days be. I'd be in bad shape. But it says, as thy days, whatever the day is like, you can plan on strength from God. Let him touch you yeah. to strengthen you, for the journey is too great for thee. I've often told, probably told this church, about uh, August 12th, 1935, and I was saved called to preach. Uh, the little community drunk, couldn't say town drunk, there was no town there. A little community drunk, little man, shorter than I, 
chain smoker rolled one uh, in his fingers with one hanging in his lips. He smoked his health away, drank his health away, drank his business down the, his uh, uh, health down the drain and all that he had down the drain and just about to lose his family. He's 54 years of age. I was 19 short of 20. And he came when I came. And when the preacher said to him, he stood with trembling hands. He shook all the time. His head bobbed up and down. His health was gone. He was a weak little man, absolutely physically worthless to the whole world or to anyone. And he stood with shaking hands and his head bobbing up and down. The old country preacher just got through talking to me and asking me what God did for me. I said he saved me and called me to preach. And he said, Mr. Mack, what did God do for you? 54 years of age, shaking like a leaf in the wind, shook that way all the time. And um, 54 years old and health gone. Mr. Mack, what did God do for you this morning? He said, just like Tom said, the Lord saved me. And the Lord has called me to preach. I know what people must. That must have been a, a sorry sight. A boy standing up there in overall and a blue denim work shoot, shirt and old plow shoes on the red face and a bushy head of blonde hair with a lot of red clay in it and standing there by a 54-year-old man shaking like a leaf. Both of them said, God called me to preach. But that's what he said. He lived to be 64. I went away to college, but that was my home territory, and I'd come back. Oh, listen. He went to churches that had been closed, old country churches, and opened the door and started visiting people and winning people and holding revivals. And he'd take people to the lakes and baptize them by the score. And he had held revivals and he built churches. And that whole section of North Alabama was a fire and a blaze because a little man let God touch him one day and call him. And for 10 years, he did the work of a lifetime. And yonder in heaven today is a little man whose hands shake no more, whose head stands straight. There's a little man who opened up dead churches and held revivals and preached the Bible and built churches. And in heaven, they, his reward is great because one day he let God touch him. Oh, for the touch of God. Oh, Lord this morning what I need more than anything in this world more than medicine more than friends more than any material thing in the world I need a touch from God oh touch me dear Lord the journey is too great without your touch and your help. And Lord, touch people's lives today so we can finish the journey and come to the end having fought a good fight and kept the faith and finished the course. Touch us. Oh, Jesus, who touched
the dirty lepers touch me. Oh, Jesus, who touched blind men, who cried for sight, touch me. Oh, Jesus, who touched a discouraged preacher under the juniper tree, uh, wanting to die, touch us today. I ask it in Jesus' name, and only for one purpose, for your glory, to whom all honor and glory and tribute and praise is forever due, with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want God to touch your life, you may not be under a juniper tree, and you may be. I know by experience, sometimes fatigue, battles, circumstances, drives people on the juniper tree. They need a touch from God. If you want a touch from God this morning for your life, to help you, strengthen you for the journey so you can finish it for the glory of God and have the Lord's power in your life, I want you to come and kneel. Let's pray together for the touch of God. Oh, Lord, this morning, for the touch of God upon our lives. Find you a place somewhere where you can kneel and pray and ask God to touch you. No touch like his hand. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org.